0: Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, what a week it's been. You know, that if ever we needed to turn our eyes upon him and focus upon him in the midst of tragedy and murder and, and chaos and terror and everything else, but to know that in the midst of that, our God reigns. To know in the midst of that, Jesus is still king, no matter what. Who would have thought of it in a week like this? I mean, it started out pretty good. University of Alabama football team and Nick Saban at the White House to be congratulated for winning the national championship for the third time out of four years. I mean, that was a pretty good way to start the week. But boy, went downhill from there. But in the midst of none of that, in the midst of none of that, was our God ever challenged? Was his sovereignty or his power or his might nor his reign ever challenged? And we need to remember that in the midst of all that we see, every day that we live and every day that we breathe. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. We are still with this gentleman who has been healed from blindness since birth. You know, it's easy to read through stories like this and just say, well, that's a nice miracle. And it is a nice miracle. It's easy to read through these stories like this and say, wow, I must have wowed them. It's even easy to look through miracles like this and say, boy, you know, if I had been living then and seen that, boy, would I have really trusted Christ. Would I have really walked with him? Would I have really known the reality of all that? But, you know, these people around him saw it and they struggled with it, just like many in our culture today still do. There is no real change in human nature. There's no real change in the way we look at spiritual matters from the time when Jesus walked face of the earth until today, we still grope around in darkness until we see the light, until the light touches our eyes, until Christ touches our lives and, and gives us sight. Two weeks ago, I, I mentioned in the, my Grace Notes article this week what a great time Red and I had in Florida and what a spiritually refreshing time it was. But one of the things I was reminded And one of the messages during that conference was that that, all of human life is shaped by some story. All of human life is shaped either by the biblical story that goes all the way back to creation and comes all the way forward till now and even into the future, or it's shaped by a secular story where man is central and man is in control and and man is the end all of everything. But, But all of human life is shaped by some story, either biblical or secular. One of the preachers there used an illustration, which which I think fits what we're looking at with with this blind man today, because he was blind and then he could see. And he talked about a story that came out of a book written by Alistair McIntyre, who is a philosophy professor at Notre Dame. An interesting book, a rather heady book. I'm trying to read through it right now, but there's one story in it That just really captivated me, and I hope that you'll understand what we're saying when we talk about it. Uh, McIntyre offers this amusing story as to how particular events receive their meaning in the context of a story. And and he tells the story this he he imagines himself at a bus stop, and standing next to him is a young man, and this young man turns to him and starts saying, and, and simply says this. The name of the common wild duck is Historonicus, Historonicus, Hysteronicus. That's all he says. And, and this man looks at him and, and says, and, and wonders to himself, okay, he knows that that's a true statement. He knows that the common duck is indeed named Historonicus, but why as the Latin name? But, but why is this young man saying that to him at this time? Well, one can only understand the meaning of that sentence and why on earth the, the young man is saying it in the first place if he understands the fullness of the story behind the young man. And McIntyre gives perhaps three reasons why this young man might have said the, name, the Latin name of the common duck is Historonicus, Historonicus, Historonicus. He said, first of all, it might be that the young man has mistaken you for someone that he saw at the library yesterday who asked him, by any chance do you know what the name, the Latin name of the common duck is? And he's mistaken you for that person and so he's just answering your question. It ought to fit in if indeed you had been that person, which you were not. Or it might be that he's just come from a session with his psychotherapist. And his psychotherapist is trying to help him deal with his painful shyness. And so the psychotherapist says to him, you need to talk to strangers. And he asks his psychotherapist, well, 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 well what will I say? And the psychothera- psychotherapist says, well, just say anything. And so he's standing there and he knows that the common name of the duck is histronicus Histeron- And so he just says that. Or maybe he's a spy or a terrorist who has arranged to meet his contact at this bus stop. And the code that will reveal his identity of who he is is the statement about the Latin name of the duck. The meaning of this young man's statement is only found in the story that shapes it. It's only found in understanding what the purpose is for him making That statement, anything else, anything at all outside of the story that shapes the statement renders that very true statement to be absolutely absurd. Well, as these people look at Jesus, their story has been shaped very much by the Mosaic Law and their story has been shaped very much by the the context of of the rabbinical interpretation of the Mosaic law. That they have come to understand everything spiritual out of what the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees have had to say about the Mosaic law. And, and, and Mosaic law had 10 laws in it, but the, the, the interpretation by all the rabbis through the years have added hundreds of interpretations to it. And so when they see Jesus coming along and saying, I am the light of the world, and I am the one who gives light and who gives meaning and who gives purpose into the world, they interpret that statement in light of their story that they've depended on for their whole lives. And they say, this is ridiculous. God is the light of the world. How can you say that you are the light of the world? But I want you to hear, as I read verses 13 through 34, a rather lengthy passage, but I want you to hear what they say And think about their story. Think about the story out of which they are interpreting everything that is taking place around this young man who has been born blind. Now this whole chapter takes really four parts. The first part we've already dealt with, verses 1 through 12, which is the healing itself. Taking a spittle, making mud pack, putting it on his eyes and telling him to go wash. And he comes back and he sees and he doesn't know who did it except he knows a name, but he doesn't know what he looks like, so he can't point to him. So verses 1 through 12, the healing. Then in verses 13 through 17, you have the first interrogation of the young man. It says they take him to the Pharisees, probably because the Pharisees were the local uh, leaders of the synagogue and they would have known this young man. And, and so probably the neighbors who have already entered into the conversation take him down to the Pharisees and say, how are we going to interpret this in light of our story? How are we going to interpret this in light of how we interpret all of life out of the story that we have followed for generations? So they, the Pharisees interrogate this man who is formerly blind. The second or, or third part of this chapter is verses 18 through 23, where the Pharisees just get frustrated completely and say, "Look, bring his parents to us." And they interrogate his parents. We'll see that in a moment. And then the fourth part, is they go back for a second interrogation of this formerly blind man in verses 24 through 34. So here are these words as I read them from the Word of God. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again, how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and wa- and I washed, and I see. You notice he didn't add that little part about he spit in the mud and, and made the, the clay. He just knew that, that clay got on his eyes. He couldn't see what Jesus was doing to make it, so that wasn't in there. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? A division taking place here. And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. And there's a little bit of progression there in his understanding of who Jesus is. Earlier he was this man called Jesus, the man called Jesus. Now he's saying, Well, surely he's a prophet, because he does these things. Verse 18. Then the Jews excuse me, the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called his parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? I love his parents. They are the ultimate, they are ultimate of passing the buck. You know, I don't know if you remember uh, uh, Will Rogers, or not Will Rogers, said that American history is divided into two different eras. The era, and with the passing of each one, is the Bob said the, wor- the first era is the passing of the buffalo, and the second is the passing of the buck. Well, that's where they are. Goes back long before the United States. So here's what they say. They questioned them, saying, "Is this your son, who's bo- you, who you say was born blind? How does he now see?" His parents answered them and said, "Well." We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. We're sure of that. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. See what they're saying? I think they knew more than they were saying here, folks. I think they didn't want to get in trouble with the Pharisees. And and so they said, well, look, he's of age. He's an adult. He's not not under our care any longer. Ask him, and and he'll tell you what happened. Don't, Don't bother us with it. We don't know. Go and ask him yourself. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, the Pharisees. For the Jews had already agreed. Listen to this. This is important. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ... He was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, turn away from Christ, give glory to God. What this man is doing is giving glory to God because God, Jesus Christ, is God in the flesh but they can't see that. Their story doesn't fit into that. Give glory to God. We know that this man, that is Jesus, is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? how did he open your eyes he answered them i told you already and you did not listen why do you want to hear it again you do not want to become his disciples do you oh oh. boy talking about taking the knife and sticking it in you know here they are interrogating interrogating pressing pushing trying to get him to deny what even happened in his own life, trying to get him to say, I really wasn't, I really wasn't blind from birth. It's just kind of my sight came back, and he won't do it. And, and so he says, oh, do you want to become his disciples? You don't want to become his disciples, do you? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well... Here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. He's schooling these Pharisees. He is is preaching to what ought to be the choir. But the choir is wrapped up in their own story and will not hear the truth. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Now, I don't think it means they just put him out of their presence. I don't think it means they put him out and said, okay, just leave us and be quiet. They put him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. They said to him, you are no longer religiously or socially or economically received into our presence you are now as nobody you are now as a pagan you are now as a Gentile you are now as a Samaritan you are no longer to be considered a part of the house of Israel we put you out because you dare to school us you dare to talk about this man Jesus who does not fit our story what in the world going on in this, and how in the world does it relate to you and me? Isn't it amazing that this man born blind, now an adult to such a point that his parents even say, don't ask us, ask him. He can speak for himself, has been sitting there outside the temple for however many years, probably a long time. Because a man that's born blind has no way to learn a skill or a trade. He's he's pretty much left to the mercy of begging, and that's what he's done. How many times do you think that these Pharisees have come out of the the synagogue, walking out in all their wriggle robes, all of their, their religious garments, and seen this blind man there and just passed him by unheeded? Just passing by. I mean, a blind beggar, for goodness sake. Get out of my way. You're, you're blocking the path here uh, to the synagogue. How many times had they passed this blind beggar by, shown him no compassion, shown him no love, on the Sabbath or any other day of the week? And yet here comes Jesus, and he shows compassion on him. The first thing we see is th- these verses show us how little the Jews of our Lord's time understood about his message, his call, and indeed about the Sabbath itself. They, they made the Sabbath their, their central thing. You cannot do certain things on the Sabbath. There, there are certain things you, you just are, are prohibited from doing. Uh, the, the rabbis of that day basically said there were three things. You, you, could not, you could not deal with anything that was not a life or death situation. In other words, they looked at him and said, If if he really was of God, if he really did understand the law of Moses, then why didn't he wait till the next day? Why didn't he wait till Sunday after the Sabbath is gone? He could have waited one day to heal the man. He didn't have to do it on the Sabbath. It reminds us what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, when he said to them after they had questioned him about the Sabbath, he said, Listen, remember this the Sabbath was not made for man. Excuse me, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, that's one of those statements you can read over quickly and not really absorb what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. Yes, you need rest. Yes, you need worship. Yes, you need a time where you focus intently and only on on, on the Lord and on God, the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer of all that. There, there is a Sabbath need that is in every one of our lives. Now, in Christ, we find our Sabbath rest, the writer of Hebrews says, and He has become our Sabbath. But, but Jesus said, don't you understand, the Sabbath was made for man, for man's good. Isn't it a good thing to, to heal a blind man on the Sabbath? I mean, that glorifies God all the more on the Lord's day. Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath that we might be so constrained by legalism and so constrained by our own ideas, our own story, that it keeps us from seeing the truth of what God has given. But said, in all in that, understand the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has come in the flesh, God in the flesh, is Lord even of the Sabbath. I rule over the Sabbath, Jesus says, I I determine what is right and what is wrong on the Sabbath. I'm the one that gave the law to Moses. I'm the one who spoke the words to Moses. And I understand what I was saying better than the rabbis have as they've interpreted it down through the generations. But they said he ought not heal this man because he wasn't dealing with a life or death situation. The man had been that way for years. Wouldn't hurt him to go one more day. Second thing, Jesus violated a law whereby the law said that you could not need... K N E A D, you could not knead on the Sabbath day. Now, primarily it was talking about bread. Shouldn't make bread on the Sabbath. Shouldn't knead the dough on the Sabbath and bake the bread. But they saw him as kneading in the mud, making mud pies or mud bread or something that he put on his eyes. So he violated it because it wasn't a life death situation. He violated their Sabbath because he needed. He needed, that was one of the 39 classes of work forbidden on on the Sabbath. He needed this mud and put it on his eyes. And then later Jewish tradition even said and stipulated that it was not permitted to anoint eyes on the Sabbath. He couldn't win. Coming out of their story. Coming out of their background. Coming out of their being locked in to that story. You know, we're we're guilty of that ourselves today, folks. We come out of our own cultural setting, and, and, and if we're not careful, we'll let that cultural setting define us more than we let the Scriptures define us. If we're not very careful, we'll let our cultural life that we've lived, for, for me, for 62 years, what I have lived and experienced, if I'm not careful, I'll say, oh, but, but my cultural understanding won't let me do this or this or this or whatever it might be. And, and we fail to see the truth of God's Word, the biblical story. That is to shape us at every turn, to shape us at every front. Secondly, you see in these passages the the desperate links to which prejudice will sometimes carry wicked men. The Pharisees were prejudiced against Jesus because he didn't follow their story. He didn't do what they thought he ought to do. And their prejudice coming out of their own cultural story, even their own religious story, caused them to look at him and say, you can't be of God. You can't be anything other than a sinner because you're violating the Sabbath over and over and over again. And there's a there's a misunderstanding of Jesus all the way through this. I've already kind of alluded to it. The, young, the man started out by saying, this man, Jesus, called him just a man. Then down here, he, he calls him a prophet. He says, he's, he's got to be a prophet because now I see. He's got to be something special from God more than just a man. They won't even accept that. I titled this sermon today, The, the Always Underestimated Jesus. Because they were always underestimated. Here was the king of glory standing before them. Here was the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Here's the one who came to redeem his people from all their sin, who, who came to be a sacrifice for them, who came to stand in their place. And as he's moving toward Calvary, and as we spoke up last week, everything at this point needs to be looked at in light of the cross because the cross is shadowing this. It's looming great over this. Everything he says is pointing toward Calvary. And yet they look at him and say, well, he's a man. He's a prophet. They're always underestimating who he is. And we can look back at them and say, boy, those Pharisees were so foolish. Those Pharisees were so caught up in their story. They were so caught up in their prejudice that they refused to see. I wonder. I wonder if we don't sometimes become modern day Pharisees. If we're not sometimes caught up in our cultural story in such a way that keeps us from seeing Christ in all his glory, that keeps us from obeying Christ unconditionally obeying Christ as Lord, saying, Lord, what is it you would have me to do? Where would you lead me? What would you teach me? What would you show me? Lord, make me, make me obedient. Make me so in love with you. Lord, change my heart in such a way that my only desire is to know you better. We say, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not our story. If I start praying that prayer, I'm, I might might look at me funny. People might think I'm somewhat fanatical. People might say, oh, watch him. Stay clear of him. Stay clear of her. They're just all caught up in this Jesus stuff. So we stay with our story. We go to church on Sunday morning because that's what's required. We go to church on Sunday morning. We sit there and we sing and we listen and we Here with our audible ears, our auditory system, we go out there and we say, well, that's good. I'll be back again next week. Maybe. If I got something out of it, if I was entertained a little bit, and if I was kind of moved somehow emotionally, I'll be back. When our story is more about religion than it is about Christ. When our passion is more about being sure we do just enough. No more, no less. Just enough to really feel good about ourselves. Just enough to say, oh, well this is for me. You know, if you've left all my coins in my my desk, uh, on my desk, so it wouldn't rattle around. But if you pull out a coin or even a, a bill, you'll see on that bill a phrase that says, in God we trust. Now, folks, don't believe it for a minute that as a nation we really put our trust in God. That, if it ever was, went out the window a long time ago. But you know what bothers me even more? Is that I think we Christians... Don't always trust Him. We trust ourselves. Somebody commented this week that our coins ought to be changed from in God we trust to something like this coin was made for you and me. But wouldn't that also, wouldn't that also describe a lot of contemporary Christianity? A lot of contemporary church, when we ought to be saying, in God we trust, in God we seek to obey, in God we want to know, in Christ we want to be obedient to, in Christ we want to follow, we just simply say, hey, this church was made for you and me, that I might feel good, that I might Enjoy it. Sometimes our eyes are so blinded to the truth. Sometimes our, our self gets so much in the way that we forget who it really is. All the glory is to go to. Man, I love those songs we sang today. Behold our God, come people the risen King. A great call to worship after another call to worship, you know, and 10,000 reasons we worship, panning after him like the deer. We prayed about that last Sunday morning. And then amazing grace. I mean, praise and glory and honor, and we sing it. But I got to ask in the midst of singing it, do we mean it? Is it from our innermost being? Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul, from my innermost being, I praise your holy name. Is, is, there that, is there that kind of understanding? Is that the story that's molding our life? Or is some other story that's much more secular? Much more works oriented. Much more about me. Shaping our view of Christ. Boy, these unbelieving Jews, these Pharisees, they, they tried to persuade the blind man whom Jesus healed that nothing had been done for him. Can you believe that? They, they, if you read closely here, they're, they're really saying, wait, this really didn't happen. Jesus really didn't do this. There's been some kind of uh, reformation in your optic nerve maybe and, and now you're, you're, you're seeing for some, some totally... Some, some totally natural way. Jesus didn't have to do with that. He's a sinner. He doesn't obey the Sabbath. He's not one of us. He's not like us. They try to convince him. In vain, I might add. They try to convince him Jesus didn't do anything. And, and this is how he responded. It was, it was very, a very, very simple answer that he gives. Listen, I don't know. Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. But there's one thing I do know, that I was blind, and now I see. I can't tell you how that happened. I know when it happened. I can't tell you how Jesus brought it about other than he took some gunky mud and put it on my eyes and told me to go wash it off, and when I washed it off, I saw what I had never seen. I saw Jerusalem. I I saw the people. I I saw color. I I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know where he's from. I believe he's a prophet, to be honest with you. But I do know this. I was blind, and now I see. Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I told you already. You won't listen. Start listening. Start hearing. Isn't that just like man? Isn't that just like us? Well, tell me again. Maybe we can find a little chink in the story. Maybe we can find a, a little inconsistency. T- tell us again. How, how did you, you get this side? He said, look, I've already told you. Are you want to know this so you can become his disciples? You don't want that, do you? Of course they didn't. You know, we live in a world, we live in a world that that struggles with the whole spiritual thing. Oh, we're we're very spiritual, we say. We have spirituality everywhere, but there is no spirituality apart from Christ. None. There's no knowing God apart from Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, but through the Father, only through the Father. I mean, that that, that can't be any more clear. There's no... Theres no spirituality apart from Jesus Christ. And while the people will talk about, "Oh, I'm a very spiritual person, I just don't know about this Jesus stuff. That's a, that's a cop-out. It's a smokescreen. But I wonder, I just wonder if, if part of the reason our culture has grown so callous, and so cold to the gospel of Christ because there hadn't been enough of us who very simply say, "You know, I don't know, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I can't give you all the answers. I can't give you all the theological minutiae that goes with that. And there's a lot of it that you ought to be learning, just as an aside here, but you don't have to know it at the beginning. But I wonder if part of the problem is there's a world out there that just wants to hear from you and me. Listen, I can't tell you every, everything. I don't have an answer. I can't tell you why why God allowed a bomber to, to set two, or two guys to set two bombs at the Boston Marathon and kill people who are just doing nothing but standing there. I, I don't have a, I can't give you a theological answer to that. I know it didn't I know it didn't go without him knowing it. But I can tell you this. I was blind. I was dead. Now I see. Now I'm alive. And then demonstrated. He did that. He, he refused to back down. He refused. He said, look, We know God doesn't hear sinners. If anyone is God-fearing and does God's will, he hears him. And since the beginning of time, no one has ever heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. The passage that that Todd read this morning out out of Isaiah is the prophecy that he will give sight to the blind, along with a lot of other things. As we said last week, that's his sign, that's his mark. That's what sets Jesus apart from everybody else. And he gave physical sight to that blind man. He gives spiritual sight. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone, to those who are in Christ. Whatever the Jews might think, whatever the Pharisees might think, There are two distinct facts of which this man was conscious and this man could not deny and no one could refute. Two distinct facts. I was blind and now I see. How about you? Is that your testimony? He said, Oh, that's too simple, man. Don't you have to throw in drugs and alcohol and sex and all, you know, how bad I was. And he didn't do that. He just said, listen, I was a beggar. I was blind. Now I see. He didn't go into, he, didn't, he didn't, he didn't juice it up a little bit. He said, This is what Christ has done in my life. And that's all I know. Don't let our culture's story, don't let it hide us from the truth of the gospel. And don't let us keep it from taking that gospel to this community and beyond, and all the way to Peru and elsewhere. Don't let our culture's story say, the story of the gospel, the story of Christ doesn't fit what we believe to be true. Listen, for many people out there, for you to go out and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, is just about as foolish as the young man at the bus stop saying, the name of the common wild duck is Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. It's just about as weird, just about as strange, just about as foreign we need to learn their story and fit that truth share that truth that Jesus Christ is Lord into their lives by God's grace by God's strength and for God's glory let's pray going to try something I was told last week could be done can we change the song to when I survey the wondrous cross do we have that in our database do y'all have it in your database okay and y'all play along I want to sing when I survey the wondrous cross because that is the That's the story we've got to let shape us. It's the story that has got to grip us. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. That's our story. It's my story. Because I was once blind. I was what's dead by His grace and for His glory I see and I'm alive Father Lord speak to us through even this text through this great old hymn draw us near the cross Father I pray for men and women here that don't know you I pray your Holy Spirit would work in their life draw them to faith God. Christ, that they might confess you before men as Lord and as Savior. I pray for us who are here that know you, Lord. But boy, we've let our story get so confused with the world's story, Lord. Maybe we're like that other blind man that man that Jesus healed. That when He put the mud on his eyes and took it off, He said, I, "What do you see?" And he said, "I just kind of see men walking around like trees. I don't." It out. Uh, something there that I've never seen, but it's touched him again. It became clear. Maybe, Lord, we just need for you to touch us again. Shape our story. Father, do your work. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.